You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. Will you give God some praise? For five years of what he has done, oh my goodness gracious, um, <laughs> I was just watching that, that flashback video and I was just crying my eyes out thinking, goodness, praise God that I shaved that beard off, it is gone. I don't wear that anymore. It was so itchy, I hated that thing. I don't know why I felt the need to grow it. I just thought I moved to the mountains, I should grow a beard. And praise the Lord that that time is over. <laughs> well, today is a big, big day for our church. It is a big, big day for our church. It is our fifth birthday. It's amazing to think what God has done in just five years. You know, I remember, I think we, second and third birthday, I thought to myself, wow, we've really been doing this a long time now. We really, we've really got this thing figured out. And now that we're five years in, I just think, oh my goodness gracious, we have only just begun. It has just been the beginning so far. And I think back on all the, the moments that have led to this place. Uh, my wife and I, on a prayer retreat in 2013 in Big Sur, California, praying about what God would have us do next and feeling like God said, I want you to start a church. And we were, what, 25 years old and had no idea what that meant and what we were, how you started a church, like did you, does the government have to be involved, what do you have to do to do that? I remember the first time we had a conversation with somebody about being a part of this church, Robbie Denson and his wife Chelsea were in California visiting his brother uh, who was stationed out there with me. I used to be in the Coast Guard. If it's your first Sunday, welcome, and I tell a lot of Coast Guard stories. Um, but I was in the Coast Guard out in California. Robbie and his wife came out to visit us, and we, we went to a uh, San Francisco Giants baseball game. How much were the tickets, Robbie? Were it $80 a person? Yeah, something like that. And uh, I spent the entire nine innings describing to him the dream that I had for this church in this city in this place, ruined the baseball game for him. He could not pay attention for a single play, but it wasn't long before he and his wife said, we're all in. We're here. We're ready. Let's do this. I remember I called Robert Knight uh, because I was pretending like I had to ask him questions about ministry. And then I said, hey, I don't have any questions except for one. Will you quit your job? Will you leave everything behind? And will you come with me to a city you've barely ever been to to start a church from scratch? And uh, from there, uh, all the people that have gathered around and become a part of this. Our dream was always for this church to never be about one person uh, or, or one figure, but for it to be about a body of people working together, sharing our gifts to make a real impact and a difference in this place. And that is what has happened over the last five years, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful to this team, to that staff team, Robbie and Chelsea. <laughs> Stop it. Robert and April and all of you who have, have been with us for so long and to this dream team that has uh, sacrificed so much, especially in this last year, to be here and to be a part of this and to make this happen. Uh, we are the church. And so thank you so much. Thank you to my wife, Raelle, for, <laughs> for enduring me over the last 
Seven years. It's been seven years in the making. And y'all, I'm difficult. And so I'm just so honored to be here. Five short years, and we've seen 138 people enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Those are souls. Those are eternities. Those are people in heaven forevermore. We've seen over 100 people find freedom in our freedom groups, walk from addiction and stronghold and habit and sin into a life of freedom, uh, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, we've seen hundreds of people engage in relational community through life groups, hundreds of people worship with us on Sundays. We've given away over $100,000 to local and national, international missions. Come on. Just five years, and we've just begun. So happy birthday, Gathering Church. And we're so honored to be here with you today. Today's also a special, week, special day because after a few weeks of being online, our hospitals were at capacity, and, and we, we have always tried to honor our, our leadership as much as we can in this city, but after a few weeks of being apart, today's our first day back together. Looks like it won't be too long before we have to have a second service up in this place, and all the dream team just had a heart attack. Come on, somebody. Y'all joined the dream team. We want to start a second service. Um, and so, we're excited to be back here at the YMCA. Thank you to everybody who's with us here today, man. It, it is so good to see so many of you. Um, so many of you who've been a part of this dream for so long and uh, so many new faces. It's just so good to see you. All of you guys still joining us online, we're so happy that you're with us here as well. This is your story as well. And so thank you so much for hanging with us and for, for being with us online. Man, we would love to invite you to come and see. Come and see what it's like to be here in the room, here in the YMCA. Uh, we work so hard to create an environment that is safe. We really just do believe that it's time. It is time for us to get back in the room, to be worshiping together. There is nothing like being in the place uh, where the people of God are united in praise. It is, there is nothing like it. And we're just so happy to be in the room. Our anniversary this year is a little bit different than it has been in years in the past. This past year has been just a little bit different than the first four years of the gathering church. In, in years past, we've been constantly growing and constantly moving forward, constantly looking for the next hill to climb. But now here we are in just a different world. We're in a different facility. We're in different times. We're living in a different culture. But as the local church, we haven't spent the last year in a foxhole, hunkering down trying to shelter the storm. Instead, we've innovated and pioneered through every shift and change to find the best way to reach people for the gospel and draw together a community of believers, not just to get through this hard season, but to serve our neighbors who are going through it as well. We served our city. We've served the people in our church. We've held fast with our partners, both international and domestic. And we formed a new partnership with the Asheville Dream Center with the goal of stepping into an underserved community in our city and asking, how can we help? And now, here on the fifth birthday of our church, I believe it is time for us to continue moving forward, to continue finding hills to climb and mountains to take, and to continue to take ground and territory for the kingdom of God here in our city. I believe it's time for us to continue to do everything in our power to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose and make a difference. As your pastor, I'm more fixated than ever on reaching you, uh, those of you who call the Gathering Church home, who this last year has left feeling spiritually atrophied and starving for community. I know that our city 
is in greater need of knowing Jesus and being known by him and being known by somebody else than ever before. This city needs the church more than it ever has. I think we had a loneliness problem in our city before COVID came around, and now I think it's another pandemic. And so as a church, we're moving forward. We're ready to take more ground. We're ready to take more territory for his kingdom, and we're ready to begin rebuilding and reclaiming anything that's been lost. I want to talk briefly today about a time in Israel's history that's got some similarity to the season that we're in right now. A few centuries before the birth of Jesus, Israel was cast into exile. It was jarring. It was unlike anything that they had experienced for many, many, many generations. They were a kingdom and they felt secure and they felt like the way of life that they liked and the way of life that they enjoyed was fixed. It wasn't going to change. It wasn't going anywhere. But they weren't living the way that God created them to live, and so God allowed the people of Israel to be conquered by the Babylonian Empire and to be cast out of their homes. And so they spent 70 years in exile without the ability to worship God in his temple. In those days, the presence of God was in the temple. So that meant that for a generation, they were separated from the presence of God. They were in a strange culture. The things they were used to were just simply not available to them anymore. And then Babylon, the nation that exiled them, was defeated by the Persian Empire. And the new emperor told them that they could return to Jerusalem, that they could return home. And so they did. But when they got there, things were just not the way that they remembered. They barely recognized the place. Things had changed so much. There were new people there. New people had moved in to Jerusalem in the decades since they had left. The city was different. It looked different. The buildings were different. It was a shell of its former glory. The walls had been torn down. The temple had been torn down, and everything just felt weird. I can relate to the people of God in that season. I think I I know after this past year a little bit about how it feels to have the world that you're used to and the life that you love change and change suddenly. I mean, that's what's happened to us over the last year. I know what it feels like to start to go back to some of the things that I loved before, only to find that they're very different than they were when I left them. Church is one of those things that's changed. How we look now is very different than how we looked a year ago. There's new people here. The environment is different. There's new rules that we have to follow. Some of you are here because of that. Some of you aren't. The story uh, of Israel returning in this season and, and the way that they felt, the way they experienced it, the way that they processed it, what happened next is told through several different perspectives in Scripture because it was such a big moment for them. Nehemiah tells the story of the people re- rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, and Ezra tells the story of the temple of God. Let's look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. 
And with praise and thanksgiving, they said to the Lord, He is good, and his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I love this imagery. I love this idea, this moment in history when after all these decades that they had been gone, when they hadn't been able to worship the way they were created to worship, they came back, and as soon as the foundation was laid, there was nothing left, nothing else there but the level ground to build the rest of it on. Right there on the foundation, they built an altar to God and they said, we're going to worship in this place because the foundation of God has been laid. The foundation of the temple has been laid and it's worthy of our prayer. They all break out and erupt into this big worship moment. Verse 12, but many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish between the shouts of joy and the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So much has changed in the last year. But today at this milestone, this mile marker for our church at our five-year anniversary, we're setting the foundation for all that God is going to do. I just believe that after five years, we've only just begun That we haven't seen God do everything that he's going to do. We've barely even seen the extent of it. We don't even know just yet what this house of God is going to look like, what this movement is going to look like. We know that we're excited about it, that we're here for it, that we're called to it, that we're a part of it. But all we can see so far is just the foundation that has been laid. We're rebuilding our house of worship in this city, and the building doesn't matter. The people do. And here among us, we can fall into either category. We can be those who just keep trying to push backwards towards that which once was. And we can weep and we can mourn when things aren't the same way that they were before, the way that makes us comfortable, the way that we want them to be. Or we can be in this second group, those who were raised in the exile. This was 70 years. It was a lot longer than what we just endured. And these, there were these young people, this generation that was coming into the city of Jerusalem having only heard about what it was like to be in the physical presence of God. And for them, it wasn't about what had been lost. It was only about what was possible in this place. It was only about what God could do. And this second group was rejoicing and excited and singing praise. They were so hungry for the presence of God that they began to worship just at the foundation. Haggai was another one of the prophets during this season, and he wrote this to the people present the day they had actually raised and dedicated the new temple. It says, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. So do not 
fear. Haggai says, hey, we know that things don't look the way that they used to. We know that it's different. We know that it's not what it once was. We know that you liked the way that things were before. We know that you enjoyed seeing things the way they were before. We know you enjoyed the way we worshiped before, the way that it felt before, the people who were here before. We know you enjoyed those things, but listen, it's time to be strong, and it's time to get to work, people of God, because there is still so much left to do because we've only just begun. It is time to be strong and get to work. The Spirit of God is still in this place. He hasn't left. He hasn't gone anywhere. He isn't changed by what it looks like. He isn't changed by the environment. He is just as much here now today as he was in you, when you came out of Egypt. And in verse 6 it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord and the glory of this present house will be even greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty and in this place I will grant peace declares the Lord. The gathering church it's time for us to be strong and get to work. What we, we can't be looking back and reaching back and wondering, when are we going to get back to the way things were before? When are we going to get back to where we were before, the way it looked before, the way it felt before? Why does church have to feel different now? Why can't it feel, when, when is the date? When is the magic number when things are going to be normal again? I'm here to tell you today that it's time for us to be strong and get to work because what God has done before, he is going to do again. And God doesn't like to repeat the past. He doesn't like to do old things. He says, therefore, I am doing it new thing. See how it springs up. Can you not perceive it? God has so much more in mind for us than where we have already been. We are not trying to get back to where we were. We are now as a church fixated on where he is taking us and what is next. And it may never look the way that it looked in the past again, but that's okay because his spirit is still in this place. He's never gone anywhere. He's never moved. He never shifted. He never abandoned. He is here and he has big dreams for what's going to happen in the future for the gathering church. I can't wait to be a part of it. We have so much to look forward to because God has done miracles in this place. I mean, I see some miracles in this room. I see some people in this room today who we've just walked through miracles together. We've seen it happen before. I promise you, it will happen again. It's happening right now. It's happened in this last year, and it continues to happen. We just have so much to look forward to. So today, as we celebrate five years, we're celebrating. We're also acknowledging that all we've done is lay a foundation for what is to come. And I've been praying through the future of our church, and I've come to realize that over the course of this past year, that being a part has, has done some harm to us as a body of Christ. Because a body is never meant to be scattered all around. A body is meant to be held together. And, it, it, and through, through circumstances just way outside of our control, I think some of that's been, been stretched a little bit this year. Some of that culture, some of what makes us us needs to be rebuilt. It's hard to communicate culture when you're scattered all over a city. Because culture is felt more than it's talked about. When you're here, you, you can feel it. When you're at home, it's harder to remember what that was. 
And if Jesus and his message are the rock that we build this church on, the culture of our church is the foundation upon that rock. And so to make our culture clear today, as we reset that foundation, I've rewritten 10 core values, I've written 10 core values for our church. Core values. Everybody loves some core values. Core values are just written expressions of the culture that we hope to be. They're guiding lights uh, to who we believe we were created to be. They give us a map towards the direction we're going. When we started this church, we had six, core, six poorly written core values that helped us create the culture we love so much here. After a couple of years, we let them fade away because we were seeing them in action all the time through the life of our church. We chose instead to focus, focus on helping people learn and remember and repeat our purpose as a church, which is to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. But this last year has all of us rebuilding. We haven't done the perfect job. And so we're rebuilding, and this is where we're going to start. I want to share this with you today. I want to preach these values to you a little bit today, because if it's your first Sunday here and you're joining us This is the perfect time to find out who we are, or maybe even better, who we hope to be. Because we're never there, we've never arrived, we're never going to be a perfect church. But we are going to be a church that is always striving and reaching and moving closer to who we've been called to be. So this is where we're going to start. At the Gathering Church, Jesus is our message. Jesus is our message. We believe that the church is built on on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. And so the focus of the whole thing should be on Jesus. He is the focus of the messages we preach, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray. We focus on Jesus because we believe that if people see Jesus for who he is, they will be captured by his kindness and grace and compelled to devote their lives to knowing and following him. Methods will come and go, but our message will remain the same. Jesus is our message. We are unapologetically evangelical. We talk about Jesus as much as we can. We believe that in this place, people go from feeling lost and abandoned and forgotten and alone to feeling like they matter and like they were created, not just that they happened. We believe that in this place, people go from feeling absolutely broken to feeling healed. That's what we do here, and that's because Jesus is our message. One time, and because we're evangelical, oftentimes you'll find that we are working hard to make everything that we do a place that is warm and welcoming and inviting to people who do not yet know Jesus, because we are not going to be able to make Jesus famous in this city if we only talk about Jesus with people who already know Jesus. We have to do every single thing that we can to remove barriers from people who don't yet know him to come into this place where they can not just encounter him because he he is powerful, but he displays himself through his people. And it is important to be in a place where they can encounter his people so they can see what it looks like when his hands and his feet are in action and in motion. Had somebody asked me one time, uh, had somebody ask our student director one time, hey, are you guys always going to just talk this much about Jesus? Like, is it always, we really like the church, not so sure about how much you talk about Jesus. Well, the answer is yes. We are always going to talk this much about Jesus because Jesus is our message and nothing else. People are our priority. People, don't miss this one, people are our priority. 
We are all about people. We believe people matter to God, and so they should matter to us. All people. People are our greatest asset. We value people. We celebrate people. We invest in people. We care for people. We believe in people. We love all people no matter who they are. People are not projects. They are precious to God, and they are precious to us. We are a reaching church and an inviting church and a welcoming church because people are our priority. Over this last year, I think we've all had a tendency to forget as much about people and not think as much about people as we do about ourselves. It's happened to me. Just think about me, 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 what makes me comfortable, me, me. I think about people as a risk. People are not a risk. People are our priority. We exist for people. When we serve people, when we step into the lives of people, we will find more fulfillment than we could in any other place on planet Earth. People matter to God, and so they should matter to us. I should be less fixated on me and my needs and and what makes me comfortable and more fixated on others and how I can reach others and what I can do to step into the lives of others and make others feel valued, seen, welcomed, wanted. Have you ever felt unseen? I have. I I told a story not too long ago. When I was in high school, I remember I I had uh, just a few friends, and our high school was big. We had four lunch periods, and one time I got a lunch period, and none of my friends were in it, and I didn't know where I fit in. I would get my lunch, and I would just walk around the outside of the uh, cafeteria in circles until lunchtime was over because I didn't want to have to sit down at a table by myself. I remember just feeling like, I just wish I had a, a seat at the table. I just wish I had a place to sit. I just wish that somebody would see me because I just felt so invisible. And at this church, we, we're just... We're just fixated on making sure that everybody has a seat at the table. That nobody who ever comes into this place has to walk around wondering where they can fit in or where they can sit because here at the gathering church you belong. This is a place for you because people are not a project. People are not an inconvenience. People are our priority. We see people here. You can be seen in this place. People are our priority, and family is our culture. Family is our culture. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We believe that going to church should feel like coming home. Now, I don't know about you. My family is not quite perfect. I don't know about your family, but we're not quite perfect. We're not a perfect family. We're a good one. We're a good family. I know that every time I walk through the doors at my mama's house, it's just like a weight falls off my shoulders. I'm just at home. I just feel safe. I feel welcome. I feel like I can rest. (laughs) Me and my sisters, we don't have the best, we don't have the most perfect relationship. I can guarantee that. But I do know that no matter what happens, we're gonna be there for each other. I know that they've got my back. They know that I've got theirs. You see, at the Gathering Church, this is the kind of family we are. We are not always perfect, but we do have each other's back. We do see each other. We care for one another. 
We give each other the opportunity to grow. We challenge each other when we need to be challenged. We step in when we need to step in. We step back when we need to. We are here to say, this is a place you can feel safe. This is a place where you can let your guard down. This is a place where you can relax a little bit because we're a family here. If you didn't grow up with a family like that, you don't know what that feels like. You don't have a family like that to look back on. You have a family like that now. Now you get to know what it feels like. And we're not like a family where we're all trying to be the parents out here controlling and, and, and trying to, lead, to make sure we're stepping into everybody's lives and take over and all that. We're not the parents of this family. We have a father. He is perfect. We are the siblings. You know what the difference between parents and siblings is? Parents, Lord willing, they, they grow the family and then they stop. Am I right? Come on, somebody. All the vasectomies said amen. They, 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 <laughs> they, have, they, have, they have children. The family stops growing. What do the siblings do? The siblings make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. They bring in the in-laws. They bring in their, their, their spouses. They, they start to have kids through the siblings. The family just continues to grow. It's never closed. It's never fixed. It's open. And this is who we are as a family. We are a family of people who are always bringing others into the family, creating space at the table. We are a family. Family is our culture. Always growing always letting others know they belong, always there for one another, always ready to stand up to one another and ready to stand up for one another. We're a family, and humility is our posture. Humility is our posture. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We take the posture of humility at the gathering church. We just never want to enter into a conversation assuming that we know everything and that we're always right. We just believe that the heart of Jesus is a humble heart that we ask questions, that we seek to understand, that we listen before we speak. At the gathering church, humility is always the posture we take. We are quick to admit when we are wrong. We admit we don't know everything. We think of others before we think of ourselves. Humility is not thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Humility is putting the needs of somebody else else over the needs of myself. Humility is the posture we take in every conversation, in every position of leadership, and in every decision. Humility is our posture, and vulnerability is our strength. Vulnerability is our strength. At the gathering, we believe it's okay to take your mask off. Not this one. I'm talking about the mask you've been wearing since long before COVID started. I'm talking about that mask that you've been wearing all of your life. Some of y'all complaining about wearing masks for COVID, but you've been wearing a mask a long time before COVID came around. I'm sorry, I had to say it. Listen, Robbie's like, please stop. Listen, we believe that this is not a church to come in and pretend like you've got it all together, like you're, everything is, is okay, and like, like you're gonna be able to hold it all together, like you're perfect, like life is perfect, like you're, you're this A number one, 100% Christian, I'm great all the time. No, that's not who we are. We believe vulnerability is a strength. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. We believe there's healing in vulnerability. We believe we cannot heal until we are able to admit, to admit our fears, to admit our mistakes, to admit our sins, to admit our doubts, to admit who we really are to somebody. The only way that we can be known, the way we crave to be known, is to let somebody know us. So there is no room for fake here. There's no room for gossip here. Gossip and vulnerability cannot exist in the same culture. 
We are vulnerable. And we believe that we are only as strong as we are honest. And vulnerability doesn't make us weaker. Vulnerability is our strength. Initiative is our obligation. We believe initiative is our obligation. We cannot wait for somebody else to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. We cannot wait for somebody else to step into our lives and lead us to make changes. We cannot wait for somebody else to solve the problem that we see. We can't wait for somebody else to come up with a better solution. We can't wait for somebody to initiate that friendship with us, those relationships that we desire, that we crave. We can't just sit around waiting for someone to start that for us. We can't wait for somebody else to make us find freedom, to discover our sin and expose it. We can't wait for somebody to make us discover our purpose. We can't wait for someone to tell us what our purpose is. Initiative isn't just important. I believe we have an obligation to take initiative because too much is on the line for us to stand by and wait for somebody else to do these things. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And this matters. This really matters. Because pretty regularly I have somebody come to me and tell me that they haven't made a connection in a life group or they haven't been growing spiritually and they're just looking for somebody to, to blame for it. But often what I find is that it's hard for us to take initiative and we don't like to do hard things. And so instead of developing spiritual disciplines, doing the things that we teach, that we encourage, that we try to lead towards here as a church, we wait for somebody to feed us, spoon feed us the word of God, to pray for us, to ask us if they'll be, if we'll be their friend. We've gotta take initiative. When you aren't feeling good, when you're feeling sick, you're just feeling bad, do you just lay, when you just like, you think something is dead, real, real wrong with me, you don't just lay on your couch and just think, I sure hope my doctor calls me soon. I sure hope my doctor checks in on me because something is wrong. I am not feeling good. When you are starving to death, do you ever just sit in your chair and just think, why hasn't Papa's and beer checked on me in a while? I'm starving over here and there's not a single basket of chips and salsa to be found anywhere. It's not how it works. We know that if we need to take care of our body or if we need to take care of our hunger, that we've got to take initiative and get out there and do it. I'm telling you that for your spiritual health, it is the same. You can't just wait for somebody to come around and make sure that you're growing spiritually. You've got to be willing to say, I need help. I don't know what to do. I have no idea how to pray. Will somebody teach me? I'm tired of waiting. I need somebody to teach me right now, today. I don't know how. <laughs> you can't just sit around in life group in a corner like this and think, why isn't anybody talking to me? It's because you look creepy, that's why. Get up out of that chair. Go over and meet somebody and say, hello, how are you? My name is John Mark. I'm a little bit weird. Would you like to, would you like to get coffee next week and discover all the ways? <laughs> you got to take initiative. Initiative is our obligation. Joy is our choice. 
Philippians 4, 4 says always be full of joy in the Lord. Or another version, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Sometimes our joy goes away and we need to rejoy. We need to rejoice. We need to do it a couple times. We believe joy is a choice to honor God no matter what our circumstances are. We believe that we must take ownership of our attitude and choose to lead our emotions rather than letting our emotions lead us. This isn't just putting on a fake smile and pretending that we are okay. This is choosing to focus on the goodness of God, on the joy of his salvation, on his grace for our lives, remembering that even if things are bad today, that God said good is on the other side of it. We believe that our attitude and our spirit can affect the mood of a room or the culture of a team. And so we choose to be a breath of fresh air rather than to suck the life of any room we enter. We believe that one of the most attractive qualities of any individual or team is a spirit of joy. And so we have fun here. We laugh often because joy is not based on our circumstances. Joy is a choice. And generosity is a privilege. Generosity is our privilege. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, A generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. We believe that whatever we have has been given to us and it is truly our privilege to share it with others. C.S. Lewis once said, whatever blessings I've received in life, I keep them in my hands and not in my heart because when they're in my hands, they are so much easier to give away. We give with open hands. We believe that we should give cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. We believe that we should live with open hands, always ready to give and receive. We believe in tithe and offerings that are motivated by grace, not guilt. Our church is not built on generosity of a few, but on the sacrifices and on the generosity of many. We are generous at the gathering. We're generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. God has given richly towards us, and it is our privilege to give it back to him. And serving is our calling. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servants. And for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Serving isn't what we do here. Serving is who we are. We were made to glorify God and serve people. You'll hear us talk a lot about purpose at the Gathering Church. I just think we're hungry for it. I think everybody's out there trying to discover purpose, whether they're doing it in a church or not. We're trying to look for the affirmation and the satisfaction that comes from purpose. Well, a lot of people try to find it in their position or in, in people. They try to find it in a platform. They try it all over. But I know where purpose can be found. Purpose comes from serving others. That's what you were made to do. You were made to worship God and to worship him by serving the people he loves. People are our priority and serving is our calling. We aren't here to be seen, admired, and talked about. As a church, that's the next one. Hold on. Nothing will satisfy you like serving. We believe that saved people serve people. And that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. 
At the gathering, we're contributors, we're not consumers, because serving is not an option, it is our calling. And finally, we believe that our city is our responsibility. Our city is our responsibility. No one else is coming. I think a lot of times we get in this mindset where we see the brokenness in our city, we see the hurting in our city, we encounter a coworker who is absolutely begging for somebody to give them hope. We see somebody that we know they are in desperate need of being seen in that moment, and we just think, man, I really hope they find what they're looking for. Mm. Man, I really hope that somebody shows up for them. Man, that person needs Jesus, am I right? What are we having for lunch? It's easy for us to just think this is somebody else's problem. Someone else is coming. Someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of this. Listen to me, church. We got to live like no one else is coming, like it's up to us. Our city is our responsibility. We were placed here, called here, sent here in this moment, in this season, in this time because we all have people in our lives who are in desperate need of what we have to give and what was so freely given to us. It is not our role to sit in the comfort of it. We want you to be able to rest in the peace of what God has done for you. But you got to rest and then you got to get on your feet and work. Haggai said, praise God, be strong and work. We got work to do because the temple has to be built. He talks about how God is telling him that the temple will be even better than the one that was before. He's not talking about the one they're building physically. That's not what he was talking about. That one wasn't as good as the old one. It was smaller. There was less gold. Not as good. No, he was talking about about the next temple, the one that would come after that, the temple that Jesus would rebuild, the temple that Jesus would raise, and that temple is you and I together. It's not the YMCA, it's not brick and mortar, it's not a building, it is the people of God. It is all of us. We have inside of us the spirit of the living God, the very same God who cast the earth into existence, the very same spirit that can look at someone who is without life and say, come alive in the name of Jesus and that body has to obey. That spirit lives inside of us and when we encounter people in our lives, in our city, all around us who don't have that spirit inside of them, they are as good as dead and it is our job and nobody else's but to look at them and say come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus because he's got a work for you. He's got a dream for you, a purpose for you, a peace for you that you don't know about. Our city it's our responsibility. We are here to make it a better place than it was when we got here. We are here to leave a legacy for our children. We are here to step into forgotten places. We are here to see the people who have felt unseen. We are here to create a family for those who have been orphaned. We are here to bring hope into every, not just this one, but into every hopeless season. And we will be here through this one. We'll be here for the next one. We'll be here for the one after that. Our city is our responsibility. And we will take it very seriously. This is who we've been since the very beginning. If, if this is your first time, that's the heart of the gathering church. And if you've been coming for a long time, but maybe you forgot, this is our heart. This is why we exist. This is why we came.